This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Kiesi. The next study that uh, I wanted to review is a study that came out in the Archives of Disease and Childhood. It's called Early and Exclusive Enteral Nutrition in Infant-Born Preterm. I thought that was a very interesting study. Mm -hmm. uh, first author is Jacqueline Rezaghi. And uh, last author is uh, our good friend Ariel Salas from the University of Alabama. So the background is interesting because they're talking about feeding protocols. And they're talking about the differences in feeding protocol between high-income countries and low- and middle-income countries. They're saying that in low- and middle-income countries, because of the constraints that they're facing, early and exclusive enteral nutrition is what they do. And it has shown to be a potential superiority over slow feeding progression in infants born very preterm. A 2020 Cochrane review of six trials in India found that early and exclusive enteral nutrition could lead to shorter hospitalization and more weight gain without increasing the risk of necrotizing enterocolitis. The question they're asking is how generalizable is this practice? They're saying that could we in high-income countries learn from this data of low- and middle-income countries, even though there might be differences in healthcare system and other clinical conditions at baseline, prevalence of growth restrictions, sepsis rates, et cetera, et cetera. And so what the, the goal of the article is, is to say, what are the effects of early and exclusive enteral feeding in babies born very preterm? In that case, that means 28 to 32 weeks within an institution that's considered high in, in a, in a high-income country. So they're basically going to try to apply this, this practice in, in their unit. This is an unmasked parallel group randomized con control trial where you have one-to-one -one allocation conducted in uh, the tertiary level regional unit in Birmingham, Alabama. They included babies who were born between 28 and 0 and 32 and 6 weeks admitted to uh, their NICU and who could be consented within 36 hours after birth. So... Um, what exactly happened? And what does that mean, like 36 hours after birth? Because then then you're not starting full early enteral feed. I think they gave themselves a reasonable time to approach the parents and get the consent done. And so we'll see what in practice that looked like. Basically, immediately after birth, prior to getting consent, the infants were treated uh, according to the standard of care, which is receiving parenteral fluids based on their birth weight, which means that if they were like larger infants, they would get D10. But if they were much smaller, they would get starter TPN. And then immediately after they were consented, then a certain a few things happened. The clinical team would decide whether they would then start enteral feeds at maybe 60 or up to 80 ml per kilo per day. Uh, after getting consent. And then they would basically adjust the IV fluid volume based on on the decision that they had made. And then they would go up by 20 to 30 ml per kilo per day up to a goal of 150 ml per kilo per day or more. In the control group, however, they received nutrition with maternal or donor milk, which was the same as the intervention group. And they started much lower. They started at about 20 to 30 ml per kilo per day uh, within the first 96 hours after birth. And they progressively went up on their feeds. All study participants received exclusive human milk diets for the first 14 days. And if after 14 days, there was no human milk available, specifically if, if the mother was not providing enough milk, then they were uh, transitioned to a preterm formula. When did they fortify? All that stuff was not defined by the study protocol. And they would... Discontinued um, the protocol if the baby developed SIP or neck. What was the primary outcome? The primary primary efficacy outcome focused on the duration of full enteral feeding, defined as how many days 
did an infant receive enteral feeding volumes of more than 150 ml per kilo per day during the initial 28 days following birth. They had a few secondary outcomes related to growth, um, and they had some safety outcome looking at SIP next stage two or three and death. They were able to randomize 102 infants. Uh, 74 infants were actually uh, consented within the first 24 hours. So they were really eager to get these babies started as early as possible. So let's talk about some of the results. Infant in the intervention group spent more days receiving full enteral feeds. The cumulative intake of human milk during the first week after birth was significantly higher in the intervention group. The difference in the use of total parenteral nutrition within the first week after birth was not significantly different between the two groups, 4 versus 12%. I think that goes to show the level of care they receive at the University of Alabama. But uh, And it's not surprising that the babies that were started on full enteral feeds early on received more milk. Now, what's interesting is how did these babies grow? How did they fare up? And they show that 89 infants underwent body composition assessment at around postnatal day 14. Fat-free mass for age Z-scores were higher at that time in the infants who were randomized to the intervention group who, who were receiving full enteral feeds early on. Looking further down the road at 36 weeks postmenstrual age or hospital discharge, the infants receiving early and exclusive enteral nutrition had higher length for age Z-scores. Weight gain in gram per kilo per day from birth all the way through 36 weeks postmenstrual age did not differ between the groups. Three infants in the uh, intervention group experienced bilious emesis in the first five postnatal days, but um, their enteral nutrition was temporarily held for, in for further investigation and eventually resumed. There was no significant difference in the length of stay between randomization groups. And so the authors conclude that the trial demonstrate that early and exclusive enteral nutrition in very preterm infants, in this case, 28 to 32 weeks, increases the number of full enteral feeding days, and that this practice may also improve fat-free mass accretion, increase uh, the length, and reduce uh, hospitalization cost. I think that was very interesting and gives us something to think about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well. Ariana's team are always are always giving us something to think about. I know. And I love the idea that like it really goes back to one of the missions of the incubator, which is that we can learn from everyone. And the premise of saying this is what they do in low and middle income countries, and they might be on the right track and maybe could we learn from this despite mm -hmm. the differences inherent to to both places. I think that's that's always something that piques my my curiosity. Thank you for listening to the Incubator Podcast. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Instagram or Twitter at nikupodcast or through our website, at www.the-incubator.org. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care professional. Thank you.